0: I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown. From WETA Classical in Washington, we're your guide to classical music. In this episode, I'm joined by WETA Classical's Evan Keeley, and we're talking about six works by living black composers you should be listening to. And it's a variety, too, with music inspired by the cosmos of the universe, American heroes and legends, music for string quartet, orchestra, and more. Plus, stay with us to the end as we read your reviews from Apple Podcasts. Because we have so many centuries of music built up, we're often talking about music written by composers who have long since passed, or even recently passed, as we had last year. But in this episode, we want to recommend to you six works by living Black composers. So let's just jump right into this. Evan, what is your first pick? My first pick is
1: composed by Adolphus Halestork, born in New York State in 1941. It's an orchestral work entitled An American Port of Call, and it was written for the Virginia Symphony. They first played it in 1985. And Halestork gives this summary of the piece. He says, The concert overture in sonata allegra form captures the strident and occasionally tender and even mysterious energy of a busy American port city. The great port of Norfolk, Virginia, where I live, was the direct inspiration. Uh, One of the things I enjoy about this piece, John, and about Hailstork's music in general, is there's this sense both definable and indefinable. This is very American music. It's definable. We can point to very specific things like the ways in which Hailstork's music evokes the tradition of black spirituals, but there's also that indefinable quality. It just sounds like America. I like American Part of Call for many reasons. For the very first downbeat, there's this really thrilling vigor and vitality. There's a sense of almost like you have to run to keep up with this music but the music is exciting enough and complex and challenging, but it's also inviting enough, and it makes me want to keep up with it. And there's a kind of patriotic quality to this piece, which isn't sentimental, it's not triumphalistic, uh, and it even has a kind of an edge to it, maybe, that even makes me wonder about the very complex role of seaports in American history and whether Hailstork has that in mind, who arrived at these seaports over the generations. What's the relationship between human beings of African descent living on this continent and how their ancestors got here? So I feel like Hailstork isn't ignoring that, but he's also not digging that deeply into it. And the performance that we're hearing right now, and of course our listeners can find links to this and all the music on the show notes page, was recorded live at the L. Douglas Wilder Performing Arts Center at Norfolk State University in 2011, it's the Virginia Symphony, the ensemble for which this piece was written back in the 80s. The conductor in this performance is Queens, New York native Joanne Folletta, whose conducting is featured regularly on WETA Classical, including her interpretations of some of the works of American composer John Knowles Payne. So a lot of different things coming together for me in this piece, An American Port of Call by Adolphus
0: Halestork. Yes, Evan, thank you so much. This is a, a great one. And I actually, I looked up a, what is this port? Um, you know, what's going on here? So I googled it to see what it looks like. And they have like a website and some very flashy animation and videos. And it was really funny and interesting to see how that was lining up as I was listening. So I'll also put a link to the that port's website on the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. The first piece I want to recommend is by Ahmed Alabaka. They were born in 1984, and this is a piece called Ascension. I think they wrote it around 2016. I had a hard time finding a date, but. Alabaca is an American composer based in Chicago and studied at Hunter College in New York State. I found a description of this piece on yourclassical.org, and it said, This work is dedicated to their friend Rex, who had passed away. They said that Rex left a significant impact on their life, even though they fell out of contact after attending Cal State. This work shows and allows us to reflect on the passing of friends from our past. And this opens with clarinet alone. And it sounds really distant, but close at the same time. It's like this melody is right in front of us, but also just out of reach. And when the strings enter, it's not a huge shift in the sound. It's more gentle and it's really uplifting. And this music, this piece, it really, Grabbed me, and I think it touches on something maybe missing in music. We have so many works dedicated to people that have have died, loved ones, legends, people who lived, you know, full long lives. But as times go on and things change, maybe we see music we didn't know that we needed. There's a lot of people in their 30s, and especially in their 20s, who know at least one, mo- most often several, uh, several people who have died very young from you know insert um, crisis here that's ongoing. Sometimes it's someone we knew well but grew apart after high school, for example, for myself, or maybe after college like Cal State. And when you hear that this person has died, the emotions of grief are they are they're different. I, you know, It was surprising for myself as well. You remember the times you spent together riding bikes, camping, getting into trouble. Uh, it feels nice to remember, but it's hard to imagine that person is gone, even though you already um, grew apart. So I, felt, I really felt myself hearing this in a more personal way than I'm than I'm used to. And it's poignant and touching as you imagine. These lines and statements, they stretch and they grow and grow upward. I mean, it's called ascension. But it's also like at times like a fountain is just overflowing. And the pacing is really nice here uh, throughout. There's a moment two-thirds the way through that you can almost kind of expect with something like this. The orchestra swells and then there's silence. And the clarinet enters alone then there's some beautiful lines in the cello, but it's well, very, very, very well deserved and just um, perfectly fitting. And then after that, it seems like the clarinet starts to blend in a little bit more into the counter melodies of the um, of the orchestra. The end is beautiful. As you would guess, it really brings closure to what we just heard and these emotions and it's, I mean, for me, growing up on the Florida coast, it's like watching a light on the shore just go out in the darkness. And its uh, it goes out, and you weren't expecting it, and it's, well, gone forever. But this is a beautiful work, Ascension by Ahmed Al-Abaka.
1: I appreciate this piece a lot, John, and I'm glad you... uh, I didn't know this piece until you brought it to my attention. And as you said, the universal experience of grief has been explored by Mm -hmm. composers and painters and poets for uncounted generations. And yet this feels like a work
0: for our time, expressing that grief. Yeah. So what is your next recommendation?
1: Erilyn Wallen is the composer. Uh, She was born in 1958 and the work that I want to look at is a work from 2021 called Sojourner Truth. And uh, this is an interesting piece for violin and piano. Uh, Erilyn Wallen uh, was born in Belize in Central America. She grew up in the UK in London. Uh, for a few years in the 1970s, she lived in New York. She was studying dance as a young person, but then she decided to focus more on music. She went back to the UK. Uh, got her education there. Ultimately, she got a graduate degree from King's College, Cambridge. And uh, she wrote a memoir entitled Becoming a Composer, just came out, uh, just published last November. uh, For readers of our blog, Classical Score, classicalscore.org, shameless plug. Hmm. I shared with our readers my New Year's resolutions for 2024, which include reading this memoir by Erlen Wallen, which I'm sure is going to be a fascinating exploration of this really interesting composer. Sojourner Truth for Violin and Piano is a, a short piece. It's about five and a half minutes long. It has a fascinating uh, this sort of song-like quality. It's like a like a hymn or like a march. There's this sort of martial attitude that this piece brings forth. About the first half of the piece, there's this bell-like tone in the piano, like this bell is just ringing ceaselessly. And then halfway through that just suddenly stops and there's this sense of this terrific struggle being overcome. And then all of a sudden in the middle, it goes into this very meditative, kind of ruminative phase. And then there's a sudden burst of energy like like this defiance suddenly emerges. And then the final minute and a quarter or so of the work has that same hymn-like quality. It comes back to themes from the beginning of the piece, but at at the end, it's mostly a soliloquy for the violin, the piano, just the very, very end. uh, And the violin soliloquy has many repeated notes that give this really an insistent quality. So there's this kind of indefatigable spirit that, that comes across to me. And of course, the evocation of Sojourner Truth by a Belize-born British woman gives this a kind of global unity and solidarity,
0: which I find very powerful. This is a beautiful one. Thank you, Evan. And the only thing I have to add is, well, if you're ever in Washington, D.C., go to the Portrait Gallery. I had not gone until a year or two ago for the first time. There is that portrait picture of Sojourner Truth there. And, I mean, when I walked past it, it was... It kind of took me by surprise. I had double take. It's very, very small, but it's so crisp, so lifelike. I mean, it is nothing like seeing the picture online. I can't explain it. That was one of the biggest impacts for me at that museum, seeing her picture.
1: Yeah, her face just tells a powerful story. And this music, I think, is is really trying to
0: capture that. And for me, it, in a way, it does. Yes. And after this, we'll get into my next pick. Classical Breakdown, Your Guide to Classical Music, is made possible by WETA Classical. Join us for the music and insightful commentary anytime, day, or night. You can stream the music online at wetaclassical.org or through the WETA Classical app. It's free in the App Store. The next work I have to recommend is, actually, it's a recording of a piece that was just made and came out. This is by Carlos Simon. It's called "Tales of Folklore Symphony." Carlos Simon, American composer, born in 1986, known well to us here in Washington, D.C., now is the current composer in residence at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, and he was renewed through the 26-27 uh, season for that, so he writes a lot for the, the NSO and also the Washington National Opera. So this work, Tales, a Folklore Symphony, he gives detailed descriptions for each movement, but he also has described it um, in a sentence as, Tales is an exploration of African-American folklore and Afrofuturist stories. And that is the foundation of this uh, symphony, which I have now fallen in love with. So I'll read you the really great descriptions he gives of these movements. The first one is called Mother Box Connection. Carlo Simon writes, Where are all the black people in comics? This is a question posed by the creative duo Black Kirby, John Jennings, and Stacey Robinson. Based heavily in Afrofuturism, Black Kirby's characters show black people as heroes using ancient customs and futurist motifs from the African and African American diaspora. This piece is inspired by the many heroic characters found in the work of Black Kirby, but mainly Mother Box connection. According to scholar Regina N. Bradley, Motherbox Connection is a pun on Jack Kirby's Mother Box, a living computer connected to the world. The motherbox, too, is a living computer with a heightened awareness of racial and sexual discourses surrounding the black body. The motherbox is the technological equivalent of the motherland in the black diaspora imagination. She is where black identities merge and depart. To represent the power and intelligence of the mother box, I have composed a short, fast-moving musical idea that constantly weaves in and out throughout the orchestra. A majestic fanfare-like motif also provides the overall mood of strength and heroism. I imagine the mother box as an all-knowing entity that is aware of the multifaceted aspects of blackness. This is a great description from Carlos Simon, and I love that we get these sometimes from composers. Really, really detailed background here, and it's really, as you described, it's fast moving. It's weaving in and out this uh, line, almost impossible to follow. I think of like a tennis match and people's heads, you know, move back and forth following the ball. But in this movement, there are times you cannot turn your head at any particular thing, a motif or a ball it's there and gone before you know it on the other side of the stage so maybe it's chaos to us but for mother box well, being all-knowing um i imagine understands it all now the second movement is called flying africans and here is the description that simon gave once all africans could fly but lost their ability after they crossed the atlantic ocean as enslaved humans This story tells how one African maintained the ability and secretly passed the gift to others. The Negro spiritual steal away is referenced in the woodwinds, as well as the cello section, while the upper strings hover effortlessly in the higher register. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus, steal away, steal away home, I ain't got long to stay here. This movement is one of my favorite in this uh, symphony. It is so imaginative. There are these rustling or flapping sounds at different times, the beginning being one of them. And it's so imaginative. In the score, Simon writes in the percussion section, parts for leather gloves, and that's what percussionists have to do sometimes. They have to play all kinds of made or found instruments, here being leather gloves. So that's what we're hearing. They're beating them or rubbing them together in a certain way that makes this sound. We also have a good amount of music that depicts flying, I think, both in movies and the concert hall. You know it when you hear it. You feel like you're being carried along for this ride, beautifully soaring over the mountains in this bird's eye view. But this feels different. It feels more personal. It feels more intimate. It feels like me as a listener, I'm lucky to maybe see or, or get a glimpse of what this person is is doing or seeing. Maybe that's part of it. It is, you know, secretly passed this gift one um, to another. And there's a beautiful moment halfway through where things swell and build gently. And you can kind of think of it as a, a launching off point. You know, the violin is now soaring above on its own with just lovely interaction with um, the winds and so for me I'm hearing this like almost in a way if you think of Lark Ascending by Rayvon Williams the ending where it feels like you're looking at this thing very far in the distance go upward into the sky here it feels like I'm seeing this in the distance just this um, this figure in the sky just um, beautifully peaceful I think Now the third movement is called Go Down Moses, Let My People Go, and here's what Simon wrote for this. He said, The Hebrew biblical story of the plagues of Egypt resonated with the enslaved, and they created songs that related to this story of bondage. While the horrific plagues that swept across Egypt are compelling in and of themselves, the focus of this piece is recounted from the perspective of the stubborn Pharaoh who unwillingly loosens his grip on the enslaved people. The pharaoh's hardened heart is conveyed through two sharp, accented chords. The Spirit of God, represented by light, heavenly, metallic sounds from the percussion, signal the beginning of each new plague. Frogs, pestilence, and sickness are not enough to break the pharaoh's will. It is only with the angel of death which takes the life of the pharaoh's firstborn child, represented by dark, brooding harmonies that he relents in despair. The orchestral texture grows thinner and thinner as the pharaoh wallows in emotional anguish. The once prideful pharaoh is now broken down to a powerless whimper. I use the Negro spiritual, let my people go, go down Moses, as a musical framework throughout this movement. This one is also clearly laid out in terms of how he's describing it, these two sharp accented chords of uh, pharaoh, the metallic, light, heavenly sounds coming from the percussion There's a couple of other interesting sounds in here. The violin has this creepy, maybe bug kind of uh, sound. They're sliding their finger up and down a string while not pressing it all the way down like you would with a guitar onto a fret. And they're um, bowing this, and it creates this high-pitched sound that's creepy and sliding. But Carlos doesn't just have them play... Altogether, and then crescendo. It sounds like they're playing, and then more join in. So it naturally sounds louder, and it sounds even more—I don't know—creepy, or like even more bugs are falling on you, or something. So that's all to say, Carlos Simon is getting really specific with the sounds that he's um, creating here, and there's a lot to listen for in this one. I think you can really let your imagination run. The fourth one, the final movement, is called John Henry, and Simon wrote this. The story of John Henry is traditionally told through work songs, each with wide-ranging and varying lyrics. The well-known narrative ballad of John Henry is essentially the battle between man versus machine. Enslaved prisoners would often sing the story more slowly and deliberately, often with a pulsating beat, suggestive of swinging a hammer. These songs usually contain the lines, This old hammer killed John Henry, but it won't kill me. Simon continues, Writer Scott Nelson explains that workers managed their labor by setting a stint, or pace, for it. Men who violated the stint were shunned. Here was a song that told you what happened to men who worked too fast. They died ugly deaths. Their entrails fell on the ground. You sang the song slowly, you worked slowly, you guarded your life, or you died. This movement is also maybe a favorite of mine from this symphony because Carlo Simon is creating an incredible sound here with this piece. The first half is dictated by the percussion section. The instruments we're hearing are the whip, which is that snapping sound you also hear in sleigh ride. It's two pieces of wood that have a hinge and you slap them together, very loud. Also a cymbal, which you can hear, and then a more peculiar sound which is an anvil that a percussionist is hitting that high pitched um banging sound. Sometimes you hear composers use wheel rims or scuba tanks also for this um this kind of effect. This movement is fantastic. The timing and pacing is so strong as it's describing, you know, man versus machine. It feels immovable almost. And this continues for half of the movement before a more pensive, maybe reflective section with the oboe but i don't want to spoil the rest of at the end you really need to hear it in context but i'm in love with this symphony tales of folklore symphony by carlos simon i highly recommend this one
1: And it's really exciting for us here in Washington that his relationship with the Kennedy Center is going to be extended at least through 2027. It's really been thrilling to see this amazing composer and what he's been doing uh, at the Kennedy Center. And I'm really looking forward to getting to know this piece better and to seeing
0: what other masterpieces he will create. Yes, I'm wondering what's next. And actually, what's next uh, for you, Evan, in recommending a piece?
1: What's next for me is a work by American composer Valerie Coleman. She was born in 1970. The piece is called Tracing Visions. And uh, speaking of full disclosure, Valerie Coleman was an undergraduate at the Boston University School of Music, which, as you know, John, is my alma mater. Uh, You and I have even talked off mic about uh, reflecting on Boston since you went to New England Conservatory, uh, not too far from there. Another great school in Boston. Valerie Coleman and I overlapped by a year or two. Uh, I didn't know her very well when we were at BU together, but I knew enough about her that I am entirely unsurprised by her success. The Sphinx Orchestra figures prominently in the recording that we're listening to. Uh, The Sphinx Orchestra is part of the Sphinx Organization, sphinxmusic.org. Uh, which is a social justice and arts organization focused on increasing representation of Black and Latinx artists in classical music. Tracing Visions is a two-movement work for String Ensemble. Uh, The first movement is called Till, as in Emmett Till. It's an elegy, remembers Emmett Till and the terrible murder of this young man. And it's also dedicated to the parents of the Uvalde Massacre And it also is in honor of the mother of Ruby Bridges, a desegregator of schools. She had to uh, allow her child to march through these crowds of hateful people as she was six years old. So uh, Valerie Coleman's music in this first movement is uh, evoking these terrible periods in American history, uh, many of which are in our lifetimes, the Valde massacre just a few years ago. And so this music is written to give voice to this ugliness, uh, the apathy of violence and domestic terrorism, and yet there's this parental love that is pulsing through this music, this battle cry, uh, this idea that all children deserve to be loved and to be kept safe. And uh, so this, this music is a kind of a defiant cry in the face of violence and terror. The second movement, which is called Amandla, which is the word for power in the Zulu language, is this juba. You think about the uh, music of Florence Price. She often uses the juba as the third movement of, uh, uh, in her symphonies and other works. Uh, instead of a scherzo, it's a traditional black American dance. And this juba that Valerie Coleman has written in this piece celebrates the work of the Sphinx organization we were talking about and it's it's this uh, image of this global unity that's being evoked. Uh, And also she uses the word Sphinx and Morse code uh, for the rhythm of this, uh, uh, that you hear at the beginning of this movement. Uh, And that's a way of
0: saluting and appreciating the contributions of the Sphinx organization. Some may know that I know and I've used Morse code a lot in the past. And Evan, this is the first time I have ever heard Morse code in a piece and not instantly hated it. Like before, my hate rate was 100%. Now it's 99.9. <laughs> it's it's so easy for that
1: to be this like trite, annoying, contrived, boring thing. And Valerie Coleman's genius takes that and makes it into something that's really exciting and thrilling and vital and life-giving which is just another testimony to her genius.
0: And I'll just give you a, a couple clues why really quick. And that is, yes, most of the time, the Morse code, it's, it's like nonsense. Oftentimes, it's not even Morse code at all. It's just kind of like, you know, shouting nonsense into a, into a microphone. So what she does is correct. And if you know Morse code, you will pick it up. The da 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 But when we hear Morse code 99% of the time, it's what I would say loosely is sent by a computer, meaning it's perfectly spaced in everything. But back in the day in World War II and even in the Coast Guard for decades, when they used Morse code using straight keys so you're sending it manually, you developed your own fist or accent, and you would recognize people without even them telling you who they were just by hearing how they were sending over the air. So just real quick, the X at the end, da, 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 da. When she writes it, it's extended the last da a little bit. And that's actually how I send my exes. The da, 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 da. The last one's a little bit longer. So I loved hearing that here, too. So it was a little loose. And uh, again, it's the only time I've heard it and liked it.
1: Well, I had a personal resonance for you, John.
0: Yes. Now, the last piece I have to recommend is by Eleanor Alberga. She has an OBE, which is the Order of a British Empire. I know it's a very big deal, but don't ask me to explain anything beyond that. Uh, she was born in 1949 in Jamaica. She's, uh, she lives and she's based in the UK. This piece is her first string quartet, her string quartet number one. And I'll read what she said about it and also about the first movement, and we'll get little descriptions of the others as well. But she wrote, In the case of the first quartet, I was propelled into an intense burst of creativity by a lecture on physics. The details of this lecture are now lost to memory, but what grabbed me was the realization that all matter, including our physical bodies, is made of the same stuff, stardust. So the first movement might be called a fugue without a subject as particles of this stardust swirl around each other, go their separate ways, collide, or merge. Now, it might not be a big surprise. I love this piece. I love music that deals with Topics like this, uh, physics or space, and the first movement, the title she gives it is perfect as well. It matches what she describes because it's a bunch of different languages. It's detached and martellato, and lepaf und swing it man. So it's detached, it's accented, it's very lively, and swing it man. And this multilingual uh,
1: description of the tempo is, I think, I think, a very deliberate evocation of this sort
0: of global this international flair that she's using. Absolutely. And so the movement, it sounds chaotic. You know, these particles and things flying around, smashing into each other, maybe creating new particles, I don't know. But it's organized. It's like when you look into the cosmos or you see those wild pictures of particles smashing together, it looks crazy, but there's laws of physics here. And Alberga does a nice job of bringing us along in this chaos. And it also naturally breathes in and out there's moments of rest and then moments of um, more movement is that i don't know the repetition of big bang and cooling um, or something like that and the reason why i think people will like this or really enjoy it even if they think you know this isn't my kind of sound the reason why i think people will like this is because it has that groove if you watch a movie, the picture is great, it's beautifully shot, but the sound is all messed up, it's garbled, you're probably not going to finish that movie. And I think audiences and listeners, they're more able to tolerate or have more adventurous harmony if the groove is still there, if there's still some footing. You don't feel like you are on, on uneven footing. And she wrote about the second movement, that it might be described as stargazing from outer space. And she wrote Espressivo, with wonder and yearning. This one does not need much context or explanation. You can really let your imagination run stargazing from space. I've always wanted to have something like my own little spaceship to fly through space and observe the cosmos um, safely from my little spaceship in the middle of nothingness. And this lets me step into that a bit more also. Her description, with wonder and yearning, not with wonder and awe or something else. I'm wondering about that yearning. What is that? What is the idea here? It it sounds a little bit different. I think there's more we can kind of dig into with that. And then the finale, she wrote, reestablishes gravity and earthbound energy. And in the movement, she wrote, frantically driven yet playful. And this one comes out with energy like from the beginning. There's lots of little episodes and ideas, sometimes at odds with each other. There's this super aggressive cello pizzicato. I mean, when I heard that, I knew this is the piece for me. I love this. And then right after, there's these violins moving in rhythmic unison on a variation on a tail end of something earlier on in the opening melody. There's so many little bits here that you can find, again, with the groove. There's a cello groove underneath a lot. And I think that groove and rhythmic accompanying parts is what helps give it that playful energy, and it pushes it forward in a kind of cyclical way. Not every beat is, um, is emphasized. So I think we can hear this one in many different ways. Are we billions of years ago watching the Earth form with uh, gravity or whatever? Or are we watching millions of years go by every second? That sounds terrifying, too. But um, it's all here in this string quartet, the first one by Eleanor Alberga. I highly recommend it. So those are six works by Living Black Composers we wanted to recommend to you. We're going to put links to performances of these on the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org and we'll include some more resources that we've used like musicbyblackcomposers.org. But now it's time to read your reviews from Apple Podcasts. What do we have, Evan? Survivor fan on the couch
1: was the name of one of our reviewers. Uh, We got five stars from this person and this person said... I teach 612 general and choral music, so I'm always looking for relevant content. The hosts are knowledgeable and engaging. This is uh, someone from the USA. So thank you so much, Survivor Fan on the Couch, for
0: your words of encouragement. We are indeed passionate about music. Yes, thank you, Survivor Fan. And knowledgeable and engaging, those are, those are your words, not mine. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you, Evan, for joining me for all this music we're recommending.
1: Thank you, John. So exciting to see what living Black composers are doing and so much to discover.
0: Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown, your guide to classical music. For more information on this episode, visit the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. You can send me comments and episode ideas to classicalbreakdown at weta.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review in your podcast app. I'm John Banther. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown from WETA Classical.